Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. Okay, it's an absolute pleasure today to have uh, an absolute legend, uh, Jordan Shallow, on the podcast today. So thank you very much. Uh, where are you at the moment? You've been globe trotting around everywhere. Uh, yeah, so currently I'm in, uh, I'm in Tampa Bay, Florida. Last time I looked on social media, you were in New York. Do you, do you actually do you actually have <laughs> just like so? <laughs> no, actually. So the better part of almost a year now, I've been uh, permanently on the road. So yeah. just a different city every uh, I don't know every six days on average. Uh, just with uh, teaching and uh, some of my clients are international, and just the podcast and the online business and my own mm-hmm. training and competition it just kind of constantly keeps me running. This is going to be fascinating. We obviously have a different demographic of who we are and what we do, but I think your lifestyle is fairly similar to mine, I think, in terms of like travel schedules and stuff. So it's been quite interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's just the nature of the beast of the business, man. The industry we're in, we kind of we come at it from different angles, but like the core of it is, I think, is fundamentally the same. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, so to get kicked off, who are you, Jordan? What do you do? How did you all get sort of started? So from my point of view, you're an absolute godsend of me having met you at the uh, seminar the other day at King's Gym, but I'll let you uh, get on to who you are, what you do, and how you got started. Uh, yeah, so I'm Jordan Shallow. I'm a chiropractor. Um, I was formerly based out of San Francisco, California. Uh, so I did my undergraduate education in the University of Toronto, and then I uh, went to chiropractic college in uh, Santa Clara, California. Uh, from there, I, I assumed the role of corporate chiropractor at Apple World Headquarters uh, in Cupertino. Got kind of drawn into private practice. Uh, a patient, close friend of mine, Dan Green, who's um, probably one of the, the better known powerlifters in the world, one of the stronger guys in the world. He he owns a gym called Boss Barbell Club. Uh, so I transitioned out of corporate kind of corporate life to you know private practice, making zero money, working 100 hours a week, just trying to get my own business off the ground and um, simultaneously started on um, kind of my own powerlifting, we'll call it career, um, getting to train with some of the best powerlifters in the world. Was, um, is, that, is that always a world you're interested in powerlifting? I was always into lifting, honestly. I mean, I think like most kids, you start off just, you know, you see a, you see a flex magazine or you see a muscular development in the grocery store and it just grabs your attention and um, for me, like that's how I got into it. And I, I was always, uh, I was always into sport. Uh, I played hockey to a fairly competitive level and it, it was always an adjunct, right? Training just became an adjunct to being a better athlete. Um, and once I sort of aged out of hockey, I realized that training kind of became my sport and I, I invested a lot of time at that point. Um, just in my own sort of extracurricular, like my education started, um, I was a history and political science major. Um, but just training was always my passion. And then when I started looking around the lecture halls, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend my time with these people. Like it's still a passion. It's still something that I, I read up on, um, on a, on a daily basis. But when it comes to career, it, it definitely sort of started teetering the scales towards trading. Uh, so once I finished up playing hockey, I just, I was like, all right, what's the next goal? And then it was, you know, like everyone just bigger, bigger, faster, stronger sort of thing. <laughs> Um, and so I, I sort of got into powerlifting by happenstance, but like kind of the bodybuilding style training was always like the first love. Um, and something I revert back to every now and then. When you but, yeah. train with them when you're on the road, do you end up doing more lured into more bodybuilding training? I presume. Yeah. Well, for a few reasons, right? Like obviously you get to, you get to live and eat and train with, you know, 
to in my brain one of the best bodybuilders of all time just from a, a, like a, a mindset and, a, and just a, mm-hmm. an education back when i don't think anyone can touch him so uh, i'm not gonna be like oh let's do like a squat workout when it's like i have at my disposal like one of my closest friends right, now bodybuilding. Yeah. yeah right so uh and it's a it's a bit more of a sustainable training style when you are on the road as often as i so like you know heavy squats and deadlifts are great when you can, you know, drive 10 minutes back home, but when you got to take a, a seven hour flight from London to JFK, you know, a heavy squat and deadlift workout is, is counterproductive to the goal in a lot of ways. So, um, it, it's, it's picking and choosing wisely, but yeah, definitely being able to travel with Ben, you want to take full advantage of, of such a cool opportunity to train with someone like that, um, and learn from him kind of in the trenches, but too, it's also a much more sustainable, um, system to recover for or to recover from when it um, when it comes to the amount of travel that I've been doing. Do you um obviously you travel a hell of a lot. So I'd be I was gonna be free to ask you. Have you got any travel hacks in terms of like maintaining and looking after your body whilst you're on the road so much? Because this is an ongoing battle that I'm like managing myself, which is always good fun fun game. Yeah. So for me, it's uh, I mean the the body follows the mind right so for me it's just staying in a good headspace like and it's something that i had to learn very abruptly over the last six months i'd say the first four months i could kind of do it haphazardly without much forethought and yeah and yeah and that's exactly what it is man like you get up in front of a crowd of people every weekend like you're going off three four hours of sleep you don't even notice it um but do that for months on end and you know you go from the Middle East to Australia to North America. And it's just like, and then it just becomes systems. Like I always get Airbnbs so I can make my own meals. I always get an Airbnb by the same grocery store. So I'm familiar with the layout of the store. So it's like cutting down, cutting down any sort of like extraneous variables where I can, like I rent the same car in every city I go to, like I request the same ones. So it's, yeah, it's continuity, right? Just as if like, as if you lived a normal life like it's i get in the same jeep wrangler it's like oh this week it's blue last week it was green but the start button is still in the same place right so it's just little stuff and then taking the time i think that's the biggest thing like take the time to like appreciate the places you are like when we were in london we did you know we did three days and and they're they're long man like the you're you're on and especially with like our pre-qualifying criteria to attend not that there's any sort of formal qualification or anything but just the, the audiences that we attract are, are such high level thinkers that to be able to provide value to them is to really, to really tax your intellect. So for nine, 10 hours a day, you're just, you are on and you are digging to the depths of your understanding of the topics that you're speaking about. So, you know, we, we finished up on Sunday and both of us were just, we were fried, but even Ben was like, man, what's the story we're going to tell? We saw some cool <laughs> gyms and we stayed in some cool places. Like, no, like let's, let's get out. So as tired as we were, we like, picked ourselves up by our bootstraps and went into London on the tube. And we did the, you know, um, we did Westminster Abbey. We did big Ben, um, saw the eye. Um, so we just want to make sure that we're, we're getting the most of it. And that's what makes the lifestyle sustainable, right? It's like, you got to enjoy what you're doing. Is that becomes great space of being out of the fitness gym world a bit as well, because it can. Be yeah. It's, it's just being able to enjoy like the culture. Right. And for me coming from like a history background, that's something that whether I'm traveling or not, like that's, I, I, I mean, I still stay up on current literature and biomechanics and, and, and uh, injury protocols and surgeries and things like that. But I, I have to tip the scales in other directions and try to reach outside my, um, 
reach outside my scope a little bit. Just it helps you think laterally about your own field because I mean, we just end up in this echo chamber. It's like, you know, me and you, we met in the gym. Most of the people I know I met in the gym. All we talk about for the most part is, is training, which is great and I love it, but you, you need perspective and you need contrast at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I agree. And it gives you a sense of reality, I think, and perspective is everything. Yeah, yeah. But we lose that, especially with the inundation of, of you know, social media in, in our in our space. It can be hard to realize that, like, at the end of the day, man, like, it reps and, it's reps and sets. Like, it's the people that, that keep me in it. No, 100%. You, obviously, you touched on social media there. Like, the importance of social media now is obviously huge, and there's a huge, huge amount of upsides to it. And obviously, we briefly spoke about what, what you do, but there's huge amount of like misinformation I think that's put out there which I think from your point of view must be particularly frustrating I guess with something that's so precise with what you offer there's a lot of misinformation I think that's, that's floating around yeah I think the one thing I'm noticing now that's really frustrating is I have I, 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 it's like in my opinion like a lot, there's a lot of things in this well there's just like a call out culture where it's like you know what I don't want to I don't want to I want to tell you what I do I don't want to tell you why the other people necessarily are wrong. Like there's, there's, it seems like there's, there's almost like a, like a, like a, a martyrdom that comes with being an, uh, an, an intellect in the space now where it's like, not only is not good enough to be smart, but you have to point at all the people that are stupid. It's like, man, let's like, just raise everyone up. Like you don't need to be making like slander videos of like why this person's stupid or why that concept it's like, dude, you're talking about a person, man. Why? Cause they squat a certain way. Like they're a bad person. Like I think everyone, again, they lose sight of that perspective and then it, it muddies the waters and it actually creates like, I think a barrier of entry into like, you know, having a passion for health and fitness. Cause they look in and someone from the outside looks in on the infighting and they're just like, well, what the fuck's going on there? I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah, I can 100% see that to be fair. And um, well, with obviously you and your journey, how did you go from, your own, obviously, private uh, clinic, like working in powerlifting. How did that progress into the online world? And oh, also, also your own powerlifting career. How has that progressed since you started? Yeah, so I, it, my the online world was just a means of scaling my office. Like you know, being a personal trainer, going into chiropractic college, you realize that you know you're trading time for money, albeit trading less time for more money as a chiropractor. It's still. Uh, you know, it's still a finite business model. Um, so with my, to me, it was all, it was all outcome based, roughly speaking, where it's like, okay, I, I know that a lot of the changes we need to make to, to re rehabilitate an injury or to, you know, manage the risk of an injury long term is going to be implementing corrective strategies, uh, fixing, fixing imbalances and mobility and stability. But a lot of the drills that I teach are, you know, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of moving parts to them. So the execution becomes everything. So it's like, okay, I need my patients to do X, Y, and Z. But if I just draw this in a little stick figure handout and give it to them as they walk out the door, it's like, that's not going to help them at all. So I began creating a library of movements that I, I constantly um, prescribe to my, to my patients to fix common imbalances. Again, being primarily dealing with powerlifters out of the gate, um, it was, it's a very predictable sport with minimal variables. So it becomes really easy to screen assess and then implement based off a baseline where each one of your individual patients are at and what are the requisite steps to get them to where they need to be. So it just happened as like, all right, I need to shoot this stuff so people can do it so they can get better. Um, and then 
over time, I started, you know, as I worked with members of the powerlifting community with, you know, a greater social media presence, people would reach out remotely and be like, Hey, do you do any like rehab programming? It's like, uh, yeah, I guess I'm mean, going to have all the stuff I deal with in my office, all these videos. So I, I can put something together for you. And I couldn't count how many hundreds of free rehab programs that I put together over the years, but it allowed me to start to sift out what works, what doesn't different variables in, in patient presentation, different baselines, different progressions, different regressions. So, um, over time I was able to sort of synthesize all this information and then start to put together, you know, almost like very broad spec approaches to common issues to, to knee pain and squatting to back pain and deadlifting. And then it was like, I sent it to one patient. Um, he's actually my COO right now. Um, and he's a, he's the head of advanced robotics at NASA. And he was like, what, what is this? I was like, Oh, it's just like some, like, I want you to just do this, like follow the spreadsheet and click the hyperlinks. And he's like, this is a business. So he came into my office the next day and that was kind of how the, the whole online thing was born was based off of just one patient who it's amazing you know, how that happens from one conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's been such a catalyst. Like from that day, it's like, I never, I never saw it. Like I never saw it as something that could be scaled. Like, I just like, Oh, this will help me in my office and it'll help my patients get better. And he was able to, you know, reap a great benefit from it. And then, saw a potential marketplace and it's something we're still trying to navigate from a business sense, but um, it, it's cool to have someone of, of that caliber just in his own field, see what you're doing and, and want to identify with it. Um, yeah. And it's been shit, man. It's been like Prescript has been around now for almost three years. Um, and it's just, it, it continues to grow and evolve and it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I have to say that, I met Jordan in person. I've known him, known him on social media for a little while. Um, met him about two weeks ago, I think, at the King's Gym seminar. Yeah. Uh, I think from my point of view, like you're, you've been what I've been looking for in a non-weird way for a long time where I've had all these mobility stability issues that I haven't been able to try and get anyone to really rectify. And I try and try and almost patch over it with deep tissue work, stretching, sports massage and none of it really cuts the mustard with fixing any of it and like what you've done for me in terms of initially i signed up for your program and app system which was phenomenally good whilst actually it was when on holiday um but then you sent over the obviously spreadsheet that you mentioned that was bespoke to me and the exercises and everything you prescribed are phenomenal in terms of the detail and how much it's initially already helped me after a few workouts so i'm really really excited to see the progression i can get from there after like six months, 12 months down the line to be honest with you. Yeah. And it's a lot of it. A lot of the times it's just about exposure, right? Like I was lucky enough that when I started in practice, I had access to literally like the strongest people in the world. Like I would look through like a kind of a roster of the day of my patients. And you know, there's just uh, like an incalculable amount of world records held across different strength sports. So whereas you walk into a physical therapist's office and you know, the hundred people before you were, you know, your regular nine to five, yeah, you know, your, your soccer moms, your stay at home dads and all that. And it's like, okay, then to try and extrapolate strategies that might be uh, effective in someone with like a, let's say a lesser, a lesser adapted nervous system and extrapolate out to someone like yourself. It's like that, it doesn't work that way. Like the extrapolation doesn't, uh, that's not how the, the curve trends, but what you can do if like, for me, it would be odd for me to have someone who wasn't 
an athlete in some respects, right? That didn't have a very highly tuned and highly trained nervous system. So I had to dispense with a lot of that, that low level, that low tier stay at home dad kind of intervention and find things that scaled and found things that, um, that were actually effective to, to create the change at the level that we would need to. And that's the level of the patient's nervous system, right? So creating active interventions that were actually going to register on the radar to make a significant change in a short period of time. And a lot of it came to me, like came down to me just getting hurt a lot. Like, you know, I've been, I'm in competitive sports since I was seven years old and, you know, being able to, to sort of kind of navigate the powerlifting space and be able to get decently strong. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've succumbed to injuries in the past from powerlifting, but each one of those has made me a better clinician. It's just like, okay, where was my blind spot? You know, pain is knowledge really fast. What, what am I learning from this? And now my, my ability to interpolate is that much greater. So I can catch so many more things just because I've had firsthand experience where it's like in the realm of evidence-based practice, like you, know, you can lift all the clipboards in the world and you can read all the research, but when the rubber hits the road, man, it's really about empathy. And like I have someone comes in my office with a torn pack or a torn quad. It's like, I can roll up my shorts and show you a, a torn VMO that's rolled up in, in a calcified knot halfway up my leg. And then at the same breath, I can show you a, a 345 kilo squat on that same torn quad. It's like, it can be done. And yeah, I think it's inspiring because I like the people I imagine coming into that situation, a situation, you get the harsh word of that. I suppose this situation are going to be devastated almost mentally. I think for them to be able to see someone like you give some hope. And that's the hardest part, man. Like you can, you can repair a quad, like you can repair a quad, you can repair a pack, whether it's, you know, non-invasive uh, functional interventions like I do, or whether it's surgical interventions, depending on the severity, you can't fix like a, a broken spirit, right? Like there's no, there's no surgery for that. So being able to overcome that, especially as I get older, I start to realize like, that's everything, man. Like you, you can get buy-in, whether it's like a training client that wants to lose weight or whether it's a, you know, a patient in my office that wants to get better. There, there has to be a trust. There has to be like, there has to be that empathy. And if you don't have that, like you could be the best therapist in the world, but you're not going to make a change. No, 100%. And I imagine one of the differences you probably see from, dealing with high level athletes compared to like general population is that like their willingness to do what it takes to get things done, to speed up the process of getting results. So like using myself as a weird example that obviously we spoke on the seminar and he said, Oh yeah, I'll sort you out a program. But I'm so impatient. I was, I was going to go on your website and just buy something. So I have something to start with. Yeah. Um, Cause I want to get going. Cause like now I found that I have this hole in my armor that if I fix it, I'll be able to prove more. If I can, I just want to get going. Just chop it a bit. Yeah. And the hardest part, honestly, with athletes is, is keeping the reins on them, right? Like, you know, you want to do too much for me. Yeah. And, it, and it's a weird space where unless, unless clearly defined, most people, you know, adopt a, a dose dependent model to things. Cause you know, if, if some is good, more is better. But for me, it's like, especially with the highly tuned athletes, it's like when we, we spoke about this just prior to recording where it's like, no, nah, man, it's about, it's about laser precision, like pinpoint accuracy in the exact ranges you're deficient in and the exact patterns of instability that you need to be stabilizing in. Um, so a lot of therapists are, who enter into the space and they, they don't, you know, they, they maybe don't have the, the mileage on them when it comes to actual experience 
they they're willing to layer on more and more. And it's like where I challenge everyone to go through an addition by subtraction process. It's like take an active inventory, be mindful, like be present when you're doing this and see how each one of these movements is going to be uh, an accessory or a supplemental movement to an objective outcome. Like if it hurts when you squat and we're, we're trying to create a strategy of mobility and stability to decrease the perception of pain in your squat, feel what it is that you're trying to feel in each exercise. Right. And that's where like the education becomes a huge piece is like liberating people by kind of educating them on why they got injured in the first place. And then all of a sudden the value of every exercise goes up because they see, they see a logical, uh, they see a logical framework as to why this exercise is put in there. Like life's short, man. Like, and you know, you, there's not, you don't get many workouts, which is like a really weird, uh, you know, existential way to look at it, but it's like, you want to make sure you're getting the most out of every one. Right. So, and for me, like there's no such thing as a bad exercise. It's an exercise without intent is a bad exercise. It's just wasted opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think for a lot of the listeners, they might not quite understand what from like, obviously after having gone on the seminar with you, it reinforced to me why the importance of mobility and stability is something you'd be able to discuss a bit more detail, like in terms of, how that be able to take you forward in terms of improving your physique, strength, and obviously in terms of injury prevention. Sure. I mean, so from a hypertrophy standpoint, it's easy. Like mobility and stability are going to give you a greater active range in which to load muscle safely, right? And if all we're looking for is, you know, if hypertrophy training, you know, we could, we'll look at uh, like metabolic stress, muscle damage, and mechanical tension maybe as the three overarching pillars of muscular hypertrophy, but it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the muscular challenge that we're looking for right like challenge through full range but you know most people don't have the full range to actually train their lats with any sort of efficiency right so then you know what happens they don't see the results they don't see the results in the in size or strength or whatever they're looking for because they're just they just don't have range of motion of the muscle right there's a difference between a range of motion of a muscle and a range of motion of a joint so it's like if we don't have range of motion of a muscle and the muscle's not growing, then people start implementing, you know, extraneous strategies to start getting muscles to grow properly. That's, you know, exorbitant amount of foods, like unhealthy fluctuations in weight. And then ultimately, man, like drugs, it gets dangerous where it's like, you know, if you learned how to train properly, if you learned how to get access to these full ranges, you could start actually driving a stimulus, which is going to force an adaptation, which is going to get you further towards your goal then packing on all these other details that are likely working against you. So for the hypertrophy, it's, it's simple. It's like increase the mobility, stabilize the new end range, and that'll allow you to exert more force and isolation against the muscle with strength. Stability is your governor for output period, right? Like if you're, you have hips that are unstable from a function standpoint, like your, your adductors aren't stabilizing your pelvis, your, your glute med and lateral rotators aren't stabilizing your hip, your, your core group, you know, from pelvic floor to diaphragm and even up into the lats and glutes, like if they're not functioning properly because they don't have the requisite stability at the, you know, the shoulder, hip and the spine, you're, you're decreasing force output and you're gaining that stability from structure and structure is going to be your inner vertebral disc, your, your ligaments of your SI joint, your labrum of your hip, your meniscus of your knee, all these things that commonly get injured when we're lifting, they're all, they're all, um, they all exact stability within the body from a passive standpoint. Like you can't train your meniscus. You can't train your, uh, your SI ligament, your iliosacral ligament, your iliolumbar ligament. But you can train your glute med, you can train your adductors, and you can train them to be stable. 
That way that buffers the force from going into the structure. So we can, we can put forth like a, a sustainable model of training heavy long-term and consistency, man. When it comes to getting strong, consistency is the name of the game. Just being able to show the fuck up day in, day out, training cycle in, training cycle out, and being able to squat, bench, and deadlift heavy. And people don't see it. It's their blind spot. They don't realize that they're, they, they're, they're trying to get strong before they can even express the strength that they have. And training stability is going to unlock your capability of expressing the strength you have. That's a, a fascinating point. Like that, that is really reiterated for me recently in terms of obviously in the last week to 10 days where I started obviously doing a lot of your programming. Like I was always aware of it, but I just sort of stuck my head in the sand, but how poor my stability is. Like I'm very heavily flat, flat footed, but more so my right side, Like I can barely stand on my foot like to balance. So point of me like going squatting 220, 230 kilos with that sort of issue is, pretty retarded when I think about it now um, in hindsight. Yeah. And it's, you know what, man, it's, it, we don't, it's a stone. We're not, we're not overturning. Right. And it's part of it is perhaps part of it is oversimplification by trainers and therapists, but I'm starting to think the more that I speak about this, that I think it's just the information isn't out there. Like there's not a synthesis and, and an application for this information where it's like, you know, you, once you get it, you can never unget it. And it's like, what I teach is not like, I'm not teaching us like a certification system. Like I'm not teaching a three letter acronym course. Like I'm teaching critical thinking and overarching principles of applied biomechanics, which is, it's tough. And it takes like, it takes a very like willing and humble participant to, to see like, okay, this is where my blind spots are. Like, you know, it's easy to sit back almost. Like let the ego take a check and then take a step back from that. Yeah. Like it, it, we just get stuck. A lot of it is in the words we use, right? Like a trainer or a physio or something will tell you if you have a knee issue, if you have a hip issue, low back issue, shoulder issue, neck issue, it's like, Oh, uh, you have a weak rotator cuff or you have a weak core or a weak, uh, you have weak glutes. It's like, man, all these issues, they're all happening at hubs of stability in our body and understanding the difference in adaptations that happen between eliciting a stimulus of instability versus a stimulus of resistance is going to change how we go about training. If I say weakness, it's like, dude, you're plenty strong. So it's like, oh, you have weak glutes. It's like, okay, I'm going to move origin to insertion against resistance. And I'm going to build strength. It's like, that's great, but it's not going to help you with your stability. Like strength is not the answer if, if, if strength isn't the que- if like weakness isn't the question, right? Like it's, it's about framing it properly for people to understand what their underlying issue is and then setting forth a trajectory to fix the issue. Yeah. That makes, makes complete sense. I think as well, I think one thing that perhaps is seen is that these sort of issues aren't seen as almost glamorous to deal with. Um, like you don't see people trying to fix these sort of things on social media or Instagram, but you see people on the, doing one rep maxes for whatever. And I think people don't sometimes don't actually see what maybe the elite level athletes actually do to try and improve this ability. Yeah. I mean, and to me, it's like some of like, when I get the co- like comments in the gym, like when people come up to me and like comment me on the, like in the gym, it's to the point, like regardless of what I'm squatting or deadlifting or benching, it's when I'm doing my warm ups and they see me do like a, like a single leg walking or a single leg RDL into a walking lunge into a hip airplane. It, it like bends their mind. Like they, they well, can't I saw you do a hip airplane. I was like, what's on earth? 
yeah it's and it's size to be that mobile like and it literally they might like jaw was hit the floor and i was like no way reason why i can't do that so it, that, that in itself inspired me and that's yeah and for me it's 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 part of the buy-in right like i have someone would look at me and think like i have a hard time tying my shoes but like this is my this is the only reason with the schedule i have i'm able to lift the weights that i lift like you know, I, I before I went, my I did a meet three weeks ago, and my third attempt squat was three twenty five, and I maybe squatted four times going into that meet, like heavy. Like I was in a place for long enough where it's like, okay, here's I have the ability. I'm here for like six days. Second day, squat heavy. I maybe did that four times going into the meet, but it's like I, I have a baseline strength that I can express because there's no down regulation of force output because yeah. of that stability is always being checked. It's always being tested. Before I lift, I make sure that all my lifts, regardless of the workout, that that function of the hip, the function of the spine, the function of the shoulder is we're bringing that to the same starting line for every workout. Cause that, that inevitably becomes a lot of people's variables. It's like, you know, they write these great programs and they, there's progressions and wave loading and undulation and, and block and linear and all these, it's like, dude, does it mean dick? Because you're not calibrating for your starting position on every session. You're doing different workouts relative to your nervous system's baseline perception of stability, and your adaptations are going to dictate that. So some people leave the gym like, oh, I had a really good day. I had a really bad day. And they couldn't see why. It's like, man, bring everyone to the same starting line every single time you train. Like, until you stand on one leg, don't you're not fucking squatting with two, man. Like, just just tap into that stability. Find that range. Once you found it, then you load it. Right. But we just, you know, we we're, we're in a rush or mobility work is for, for pussies or whatever. It's like, all right, yeah, you, you play, you play that fucking game, man. And then come talk to me. When yeah, exactly. So it's, it's tough, man. And, and you know what you, in, in studying kind of behavior change, it's like you can, you can put it all out there, but at the end of the day, it's almost Darwin as a man. Like you're going to resonate with people who think that, you know, who believe that that's the answer and you're going to polarize people who think that it's like, Oh no, all you, the, you need to do is squat. It's like, all right, man, like I'm past the day of trying to convince people. Like I, I used to try and fight tooth and nail, but it's like, you know, here's what I do. If you think it's going to, it's going to jive with the way you're thinking and your mindset around your training, then we'll, then we'll, we'll rock and roll. If not, you know what? All the best to you because it's just, it is, it is quite a polarizing topic. Like the introduction of mobility and stability. Um, but being able to say it as a, you know, 125 kilo competitive powerlifter carries with it. I think there are people out there who say similar things, but like it, to me, it's like I have a I have somewhat of a loaded gun when I stand in the front of a room and talk about it because it's like at the end of the day I can whip, whip out the all right you want to you want to do this what do you squat all right then shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's, it's like the dick measuring contest that it comes to almost. Well, it's interesting, man. Like there's in the pre, like in the prevailing market of academia in the fitness space, it is just that. Like there's a weird sort of taking of inventory where it's like you guys are totally missing the point. Like if you're income based, you worry about that petty dick slapping, but if you're outcome based, you just want to get forth your truth to the biggest audience possible, right? And like I just I don't understand. It's almost like shreds marketing. Right. Like just as before they were using like Photoshop and, you know, fake tits to sell protein to promo codes. Now it's like, all right, now they're just massaging research and embellishing the results and they're doing the same thing. Like at the end of the day, man, it's, it's, you know, people are just succumbing to the lesser angels, lesser, lesser angels of human nature 
it's just happening in the fitness space with a bunch of eggheads now. And, and, you know, I always maintain that I'm an athlete first, right? Like I get it. Like I'll have patients come to me. It's like this dude, like, you know, you might need surgery at the end of the season. You might get fucking hurt, but guess what? You're worth $9 million. And this is how you feed your family. Like let's fucking fly close to the sun and see what we can do. And that's an athlete talking. That's not a clinician talking. Yeah, I think people would have a lot more respect for you from that respect because you see it from their eyes rather than just from a, a book, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it just comes down to managing expectations, right? Like for me, it's, it's under promise and over deliver. That's got to be, that's got to be the game. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And then obviously on top, top of the, um, you've talked about obviously stability and ability and importance of that. Is there any easier tips you've got for people in terms of self care, like pre-training that would be a good ritual for people? Uh, yeah. I mean, roughly speaking, it would be find your baseline, right? Find your baseline of stability and see where you go from there. Like, you know, learning how to execute like a proper walking lunge. And if you can't see why you can't or where, where it's necessary. Yeah. Like if your knees, if your knees caving in, like why, if you can't overcome it by cueing, then regress. Like, I think that's what's always missing is an assessment, right? Like, you know, what, what do you actually need? So for me, it's, I would, I would challenge anyone listening to find for their shoulders and their hips, a, a movement that, taxes their ability to stabilize the joint so for me like i have five and the book will be coming out later in the year um it's just they're called gatekeeper drills so these are gatekeepers to load essentially so my five gatekeeper drills are what's that what's the book gonna be called uh it's gonna be called like the gatekeeper principle okay so so it's like this idea that like these stability drills and for me it's I'm not married to the drills per se, like the drills that I instruct are a little bit more advanced. They're almost, which should be like what you set your trajectory for when it comes to, all right, what is the furthest end range this joint can get to based off its like anatomy? And then how do we elicit a load of instability at that end range to make the adaptation necessary to improve the, the, the stability of the joint from a functional standpoint. So for me, it's like before I, now before I squat and, deadlift or like anything load through the lower body it's walking lunge single leg rdl and hip airplane those to me are going to take that joint of the hip and the si joint through full range and then create a deviation of the center of mass outside of the base support which is how you further the stimulus of instability so walking lunge single leg rdl and um hip airplane and then for the upper body it's going to be a kettlebell windmill and then a bulgarian split squat or sorry not a bulgarian split squat um uh kettlebell bottom under press and a kettlebell windmill. Those are going to be like the mainstays when it comes to end ranges of motion through the shoulder and hip. And then an elicitation of the stimulus of instability through those end ranges. So if you can get into those positions, your mobility is locked in. Then it's just a matter of scaling the progression of instability to a point where it's challenging, but you can overcome it. So that for me is like, that's my default starting position is those, those exercises in particular, just because it, it loads both of the main peripheral hubs of stability, the shoulder and the hip, with a stimulus of instability in the greatest of structurally unstable position that's possible. Awesome. That's real knowledge. And having tried some of these movements in person with Jordan, I can testify some that aren't particularly easy. So uh, if you want to give them a try, it's well worth, well worth doing. Do you have, you have some of them listed on your YouTube channel as well? Yeah, yeah. My YouTube channel, the podcast, we go into deep dive as well. Um, 
it's, it's kind of become, which is weird, man. Like, you know, I've for the longest time was kind of a, a barbell zealot until I realized that there was, there was blind spots. There was, there was holes. There was, um, there was just something missing. Like it, I, uh, I just, I couldn't put my finger out cause I used to be like the don't stretch, just squat kind of guy. And then, you know, recurring low back pain or, or knee pain. I was like, this, this isn't adding up. There has to be a better way. There has to be a better screening process. Um, so yeah, and the majority of what I talk about now, regardless of the mediums in which I'm doing it are, are purely based around this concept that, um, stability itself is in fact a different adaptation than endurance and strength. Um, and a lot of people just, again, they're, they're adding, um, they're adding resistance to build strength at these muscles that are, that are cued or, or, um, maybe designed to adapt to a stimulus of instability instead. Um, so that's going to be a YouTube podcast. Honestly, when I, when I talk, when I open my mouth these days, it, this is what I'm saying almost without a doubt. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that with, um, myself and point, for example, obviously regressing back from basic exercise, obviously I, like I really struggle even to stabilize on one side with a lunge. Where, how would you regress that back from that to a more basic movement? Yeah. And, and maybe we could use this example to just teach a general principle, right? Like strength, we all know just add resistance, right? Where it's like, you know, we're, we're, you're weak or untrained. We add where we decrease the amount of load easy. Right. And then the other the opposite, the more we adapt, we can increase the load. And then we just weigh volume and intensity as our main, um, our main variations and stimulus. But with instability, it's base of support and center of mass, right? So those are the two uh, components that make up stability as its own adaptation. So we have like a base support, which, so let's take your, your lower body, for example. So when you're standing with both feet on the ground, you have a broad base of support that encompasses your center of mass. Your center of mass is within your base of support. So there's no stimulus of instability when you're just standing there with both legs on the ground. Now, thinking as a means of progressing and or regressing, if we're going to regress that, well, we can minimize our, or we can lower our center of mass so you can get on all fours, right? Like think of, think of a bird dog, the corrective exercise kind of popularized by Stu McGill, the bird dog. And think of the single leg RDL. If you think of the opposite side shoulder and hip function through that movement, the same thing. All we're doing is we're deviating the center of mass and we're broadening the base of support right? We're down on all fours rather than two and our center of mass is closer to the earth, right? So that's like for a lunge, for example, when we're trying to uh, regress that movement down, depending on how unstable the initial, you know, the initial walking lunge assessment is, it's either going to be a put a dowel in one hand or a dowel in both, right? So that we, we look to externalize the stability to an apparatus to help um, broaden our base support as means of scaling back or regressing the stimulus of instability that we can't yet adapt to. That's a superb answer. So basically try and make this, make it to the point where it's a little bit easier so you can do it by using some sort of support and then progress back onwards up from there. Yeah. Like if you came into the gym, it was like, man, I want to bench 300 kilos. The last thing we would do is put 300 kilos on the bar every day and just watch you fail. Right. We have to, we have to take weight off the bar. So if you're at a point where your walking lunge can't be overcome with like, you know, a little bit of cueing, uh, a, a little bit of sort of mindfulness and awareness of like where your body is in space, 
then it's like, well, we're not going to do the exercise, man. Like we, we got to regress the exercise and how do we regress an exercise of, of stability? Well, we just have to make it more stable. What are the two components of stability base support and center of mass? So we just broaden the base support and then we have a less, um, we have a more stable load that's slowly going to start to build up to more unstable positions as we make the adaptations. That's so basic, but I've never really thought about it. That principle is so obvious when someone says it to you. Yeah, and, and I think it's just been hiding in plain sight for so long. Because honestly, the hard part is, man, like, unless you're, uh, you want to do what I do and be in a different city every six days, like hopefully the book, you know, I, I'll have two books in draft now. So I have a, an overarching, um, a much longer textbook coming out later in the year as well on top of the gatekeeper principle. Um, unless you have that, like it's, it's not a scalable business model, but I can sit back and send and, and sell bands from my living room and say, Oh, strengthen your rotator cuff, strengthen this, strengthen that. Like, well, I'm not necessarily selling you anything. I'm just saying, Hey man, like here's the, here's your problem. Like you don't need a BOSU ball. You don't need a fucking band around your knees. Just, you got all the tools right at your disposal. Stand on one leg and hinge. What did you do? You deviated your base or you, you minimized your base support and you deviated your center of mass. You created an environment of instability that now your body has to create a different adaptation to. That's it. And it's like, all right, once you learn that, like everyone who just heard that, I just shot myself in the foot because I lost however many thousand potential customers. <laughs> But I don't give a shit because it's like, it's, it's outcome based, man. Like if that's the impact we can have and we can, and this can reach more people and more people can just push the envelope and training and sports performance. And I mean, look, like I, I do consulting work with teams in the NFL and I'll go into like a, you know, a 90 man off season training session. Like you got 90 fucking NFL players in one room and it's like walking through Jurassic park, man. And, you know, you watch the strength coaches and, and they're sort of like you're going through and they're doing That's their thing. It's difficult with you out of interest. I just, I can't, I just imagine some of them would be a bit um, skeptical sometimes in terms of the importance of what you do in terms of. Well, and yeah, and that's a big driver, honestly, in my own training these days. Like with the amount of travel, like sometimes I get to a city and it's like, oh, fuck, I just want to go to bed. But it's like, no, your jet lag doesn't matter. You got to go train because you're going to get, you're going to, you're going to end up toe to toe with someone in like an intellectual sparring match. And your buy-in is going to come from the fact that you, your proof is in the pudding, man. Like I, I do what I do and I'm able to do what I do because I, I abide by these tenets. So yeah, like I, I get some pushback, but I, I like to think that I'm constantly working to have all my angles covered. And I know one of the angles is like, you know, cause there's a lot of people in the fitness industry right now that are espousing information that they think to be true that because they're really strong, they think it'll work for everyone. But it's like, okay, there's, there's value, there's merit in there, but they're missing an academic piece. They have notoriety and not credibility. So it's like, all right, I came out of, I came out of grad school, um, with a, you know, a couple initials after my name and, uh, and, um, you know, some, some credibility from an academic standpoint I was able to secure, you know, jobs that bolstered a resume, like working at Apple, working at Stanford, working at boss Barbell, working at CSA. I was like, okay, I have fucking, I have credibility. I think like I've been fighting tooth and nail, but then I'm like, Oh wait, where's my money? It's like, I thought I was supposed to have, well, what, what the fuck? Like, I, why don't I have money? And it's like, Oh, cause no one gives a shit. That's right. Cause you need to have notoriety as well. Right. So I was like, all right, let's grab a bar. Is that what it takes? Will you guys fucking listen to me if I can deadlift a lot of weight? All right. There's a point now. Yeah. There's a lot of weight. Can, so can you guys shut the fuck up and listen now, please? 
and it's, it's frustrating, man. Cause it is. Cause I know, I, I know really good, uh, like academics who no one listens to or get, gets questioned because they don't have that. And you know, there is something to be said about personal experience, but for me, it's like, I, my goal is to be unimpeachable, right? Like I, I have that smoking gun of like, Hey man, this is what I can squat, but I've never had to pull it out. I've never had to drop that in a seminar because I mean, I, I got to get ta- taught at a young age. Like you can't beat people up to solve your problems. Mm. I was like, okay, but I can use words, right? And like, yeah, hey, yeah, you can use, use words. I'm like, okay, I'm going to train the hell out of using my words. I'm going to be a fucking, I'm going to be a, a, a black belt when it comes to dismantling arguments with my words. Because if, if I can't do that, I, I'm at a loss, right? I'm going to punch everyone in the face who disagrees with me. So it's like, that's kind of always been my focus is like, how do I, how do I overcome objection? Right. So trying to pick apart and beat with a hammer, my stance on things and being, you know, so internally critical of my, my process that to the point where I don't think anyone outside my own head thinks as critically about the stuff I'm saying as I do. And when I, so when I do, when I do meet objection in some of these principles that I speak about, I've met this enemy before and I met him inside my own head. So I know how to navigate. So it's like, it's a chess game, man. What's that? You've already fought that battle. Exactly. So it's like, you know, it's literally the point where I I did a seminar in Toronto three weeks ago and there was a, there's a zealot for starting strength, which is a, a a common North American um, training style for beginners to the barbell. And you know what, anything that puts a barbell in someone's hands or puts a barbell on someone's back, I'm a huge advocate for it. And starting strength has done a great job, you know, in its, in its entirety of doing that. But there are some fundamental principles that I see flawed and I've had the argument in my head 10,000 times. So it's like I literally had to sit there and, and with the student who was just, you know, he was trying to show the rest of the audience that he, he knew a thing or two and more power to him, man. Fuck, like I, I'm always down for a good conversation. I think that's where a lot of truths can get weaved out. Um, so, but it's to the point where it's like I know the argument. I know the camp. I know that I've read the book. And it's like, listen, man, you're going to say this. Then I'm going to say this. Then you're going to say this. I'm going to cite these two articles. You're going to say this and then I'm going to say this and then you don't have a place to go. So do you want to do that or do you want to just carry on with the rest of the seminar? And it's like, it pollutes my days and nights. Like it's all I think about. So like I would love to come across someone and and I have, and I seek it out like with the podcast, people have like opposing viewpoints or or alternate viewpoints because it's like uh, the, I keep constantly beating this with a hammer and it just gets more and more solid the more I work on it. Here's a question for you. Do you and uh, Ben ever have diverging thoughts on any of the topics? Yeah. And I think honestly, man, I think that's what, that's why I'm there. So Ben and I met um, via friends of ours that um, like a mutual friend that own or that operates a podcast called mind pump. Yeah. Um, so I was in Florida with a, my business partner um, who was competing at a CrossFit event in Miami my buddy hit me up, Adam Schaefer from Mind Pump. I was like, oh, you should go podcast with Ben in Tampa. I was like, are you fucking serious, man? Like, I've been a fan of Ben, obviously being like a, a Canadian from southwestern Ontario. Like, he was a bit older than me. And it was like, oh, fuck, yeah. And he arranged it. And I think it's because I have an opposing viewpoint that there is – I mean, sometimes that opposing viewpoint is complementary based off of the goal. But sometimes it is in direct opposition to one another. Um, and it's, it's, it's good to see – because we're both of – I mean, we're, we just, we're outcome based, right? So we've both found situations where we've sort of succeeded or succeeded academic territory to the other because like, Oh shit, like 
I thought that was one way and you've, you've proven that it's, it's the other way. And I was like, so yeah, we, we, we run into arguments and not arguments. They're just like, and it'll happen sometimes in the middle of the seminar and people like, you can feel the crowd get like tense. And it's like, dude, I, I live for that. Like I literally travel the world for that. Like that one moment where you just, you stop in your tracks and you're like, man, I thought I was in one place, but now I'm, I'm actually in another. And it's like that, that shift of like your mental, like your mental framework is so powerful. And like being able to, to, to let that happen is so cool. And like everyone gets all freaked out, but me and Ben is like, it's just, this is what we're after. So like when he asks a question or I ask him a question, it's not posed with like the, you know, I'm one upping you. It's like, it's, it's born out of a place of genuine curiosity. So there's never anything but like, there's never anything but you respect and just you're grateful that you have like this business partner that can challenge what you think to be airtight. And well, like we had, we were in Melbourne one of the attendees of our seminar is, is, is another like a, a really great educator. His name's Luke Lehman. Yeah. And this podcast with Ben, like that was fascinating. To be he's brilliant, man. I've listened to that podcast about five times. And we had like, you know, with the other attendees there and we, we, we sort of apologize after because it was the three of us. Like, dude, we just went down a rabbit hole. Was, I'm like, I literally, I'm, I'm sitting here right now in Tampa Bay, Florida, where it's a thousand degrees and a thousand percent humidity. And I, I, I shit you not. I wish this was on video. The, the hair on my arm is standing up. Like just thinking about that moment. Like here you have like one of the old school Poliquin coaches, like probably one of the most well-respected authorities in, in education, in like nutrition and physiology like Lucas is, is, he's such a gold mine and like someone I've had so much respect for. And then obviously being, you know, presenting and traveling with Ben and to be in the middle of like this. And it's, I don't want battle. is not the right word. Like this construction, this construction born of a new idea. Like with just three. Yeah, it was, dude, it was unbelievable. And like, we, we snapped out of it after like 20 minutes and like we looked at the rest of the audience and they're like jaws were on the floor and it was just like, like, wow. Like we're like, Oh, sorry guys. Like we just, you know, we just started chasing something down and like we were working something out like in real time. Cause like, here's the thing, like Ben and I, like as much as we try and present what we know to be like the truth in our field, the most powerful thing that both of us will say is I don't know. And I think that's a rarity in academia. Cause it's like, listen, if I say, I don't know, then when I say I know something, it carries a little bit more weight. Yeah. And it's that open-mindedness you guys have to learn, which I think uh, everyone finds very endearing. There's nothing worse when somebody thinks they know it all just because they read it in a textbook, but who, know, who says that the textbook or study was correct? Yeah, and that's the only reason I present, man, is that's how I learn the best. Like, I get exposed now to the highest level questions. I get exposed to, like, you know, just paradigm-shifting concepts. And, like, a lot of times it just happens in real time. Like I was in, we were in Manly Beach in Australia and a very like well-respected uh, strength coach in the industry was there. And we were talking about mechanics of like deadlifting versus sumo versus conventional. And like he, he posed a question again, just with like a genuine curiosity and like on the fly, like I just had to synthesize this, like the question. And like, I was, I still, it's one of my like favorite moments of presenting was like, I have now an answer for that. And it was in just being able to verbalize it out loud and watch how people reacted and pay attention to like their grasping of what I was just developing in real time. I was like, Oh fuck, like this is it. Like that's an answer to a question that a lot of people have had for a long time. And because I've, 
got on a plane, flew 18 hours, was jet lagged as a motherfucker and was eating Vegemite for two days. Hmm. I, I got, I have an answer now. Like it's such a eureka moment, man. Like, and, and I tell people like, look, we're all here for the same reason. Like when, when I teach, like, this is how I learn. Like likely I'll leave this weekend and I might learn more than you did. And it, it's just, it's such a powerful, like, it's such a powerful like career choice or career path to have because it's, it's always like, it's so stimulating and it's so rewarding because it's like as much as, as rewarding as it can be to impart what you know on other people, the fact that they push you to know more, like that's everything. It makes you level up and raise your game because the people are asking the questions in a way that you've perhaps never thought before or from a different yeah. angle. Yeah, and, and man, it's, it's so crazy just to see like, you know, the different lenses that people look through based off their, their, their preconceived notions of the sport that they come from or uh, like the, the, their age. Like it's, it's so crazy to think like there's so many permutations of perceptions of information that it's like it, it forces you to, to have to adapt how you deliver the information you're trying to get across because you don't realize that just because it makes sense leaving your mouth that it's going to make sense as it enters their ears because their ears have, have filtered through so much and experienced so much. So it's like, okay, how do I, how do I make representation and how do I make this true to them and their experience? Like it's then presenting in itself becomes another, like it, that, that almost becomes something that you need to study as like a separate art form. Like it's, it's, it's such a dynamic job, man. And I, I honestly, it's my favorite outside. Yeah. I like presenting more than I like lifting now. Really? Like it's, there's nothing better because then when I lift, I'm like, I'm lifting from such a, such a more cerebral place. Like I get so much more out of my workout since I've been teaching in the last three years. Cause I, I've just gained such perspective Man. on different outlooks and like, yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, moving on from that, uh, in terms of obviously traveling the world in terms of some of the tips you've picked up with your own, obviously injuries, is there anything you'd recommend to anyone in terms of warning signs to not get injured? Does it mean it's alarm bells off when you're going into training? Um, my biggest thing, man, is like when you when you understand the fundamental principles of stability and, and how to assess for mobility and the implementation that you know the instability training allows you when you have the adequate range of motion is like now you're now you're on trial. Now you're responsible because now your programming fucking matters. Yeah. Right. Because what usually stops people is like Oh, my elbow kind of hurts today. I don't think I'm going to bench. But your elbow is not going to hurt because your shoulder is going to have the requisite mobility and stability to not have some peripheral issue at the elbow because your shoulder's not working right. But you better be careful how you're loading that shoulder long term. Like your, your fatigue management becomes everything, right? Your load management becomes everything. Your periodization and your exercise selection, that's what's going to now start to yield the results. Granted, your execution is where it should be. So it's like, don't think you're out of the woods. Like the story doesn't end because you can do a kettlebell bottom under press. You're not going to have bicep tendonitis. It's like, no. Now all of a sudden it's you've, you've opened up the taps. Like you've got the opportunity to train. You have the opportunity to train, but now you have the responsibility to know when to not to. Right. And that's becomes the hardest part. And dude, that was my problem. Like people question my injuries. Like, you know, I, I tore a quad on a 300 kilo back squat triple and I tore my pack at a 200 kilo bench press. And it was like, yeah, man, I kept my foot through the fucking floor because my two training partners were the two strongest guys in the world. Like I was trying to keep up with the Joneses and my programming was shit. It was like, load the fucking bar, 
and do what it takes to get that thing to move. Like not realizing that applied force is greater than tissue tolerance. It'll succumb to an injury. So I kept applying force, but didn't consider the underlying tissue. Like it's not, it's not by accident that the two injuries I've sustained while lifting are muscular tears and not like, and like prime mover tears. Yeah. Like I tore my quad and my pec because my rotator cuff and my like glute med and my adductors kept my femur in a position over my tibia where that quad was staying loaded the entire fucking time. It wasn't going anywhere else. Yeah. Cause a lot of people like that's a torn meniscus or an ACL or, you know, a torn rotator cuff or, you know, a frayed infraspinatus or torn labrum. They're like, no, 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 those are, those are structure, right? When if you're, if you're succumbing to structural injuries in the gym, your stability is on trial. That's where you got to start. If you're, if you're so dialed in that your stability is like, as if you're squatting and pressing on a Smith machine, it's like as if you're isolating your pec, and if you don't be careful of how you actually manage load through that long term and like proper programming, you're gonna tear that fucking thing. And so like, there's no, it's the, the my muscle tears from lifting are are actually almost further proof of concept of this theory that I've sort of I've kind of born out of the stability training was like, yeah, the stability stuff is great, and this will reach a lot of people, and like you know, little niggles here and there will start to go away. But guess what? If, if you're a trainer and you're noticing this, you, you, have, you got a job to do. Like your job just started now. This is where you need to understand the fundamentals of programming and periodization. In terms of obviously tips like that, would the, how, what would you say is your optimal training frequency for most individuals in terms of managing that? Obviously it, it depends. It's one of the things. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm going to default with that, but, I, like your best recovery tool is proper programming. So for me, my training frequency is a lot less because my ability to recover is hindered by, you know, my travel schedule and all that. So it's like I train less frequently now than I had in the past, albeit a little bit more now that I've improved the strategies of, of, of managing stress and the stress of traveling on the road. Um, but a lot of the times, man, it, it, it's, understanding the lifestyle and this is I'm, I'm developing a course right now for um a seminar i'm hosting in melbourne that's going to be a kind of a new um a new topic that i want to cover and it, it's, it's about it's about sort of programming from an injury risk management standpoint and starting with a history like you know personal trainers will come in and they'll go like oh um yeah, if you ever had like heart pain when you've squatted or you ever had shortness of breath, you ever been told by a physician that you shouldn't exercise, like they just run through like a PARQ, right? Like a physical activity uh, readiness questionnaire. Yeah, it's like, all right, is this person going to die when they're training with me? It's like, dude, that's bullshit, man. Like you got to you gotta dig deeper than that. Like learn how to take a proper fucking history. Like if you have an injury, like if you have past injuries, you know, what makes it better? What makes it worse? Like what's the pain scale? Does it radiate? Like there's so much to be learned from taking a good history. And I think there's such a value in just taking the time, like take the time to get a really accurate snapshot of, of someone like when you're training them or like when you're treating them or even with yourself, like have, have an honest assessment of, of like, you know, where you're at, what, where your weaknesses are. And you know, if you can't do it yourself, find someone who will do it for you. No, it makes, makes perfect sense. Perfect, perfect sense. I think it's where again, it comes down to those things you were saying earlier that, people often try and do too much and they want to train like a million times a day, do four hour workouts. And it's a lot of that time. It's 
less is more with a lot of people uh, because a lot of people's recovery can't handle it. Yeah, yeah. And then it just plays into consistency long term, right? So training frequency is a tough one because like your training frequency could actually be high if a lot of your training that you're doing is, is, is skill acquisition, right? This is, this is kind of one of Ben's principles of hypertrophy that is easily adapted to strength training. It's like, are the exercises you're doing skill acquisition or are they output? You know, if you're doing high output, your frequency has to be less in that muscle group or movement that's high output. But if you're doing things like, you know, like, like high frequency um, compound movements for new lifters, it's like, yeah, it's going to build strength, but you're not building strength. There's more weight on the bar, but there's more weight on the bar as a consequence of skill acquisition. Because you're not taxing, you know, a metabolic system. You're not taxing a neurologic system. You're taxing the actual coordination of the movement, right? So what's failing you is never a system that needs much time to recover. But it's knowing when to flip that switch from like, okay, now this is no longer a skill output or a skill acquisition. This is an output, right? Like when you you squatted, you know, with some proficiency over time, like regardless of how long you take off from squatting, you can, I mean, you can wake me up from a dead sleep halfway through an off season where I haven't squatted with a bar on my back in like six to eight months. And I can still execute my low bar squat with a gun to my head. Like there's no issues. Like that is a, that is an output exercise for me. So being able to delineate what of your workout is output, what of your workout is skill. And then being able to say like, okay, how much output can I recover from? And then programming from there. That makes total sense. That makes complete sense. I think people just go for the output output approach. I think with their training, it's um, just banging the head against the wall a little bit. Yeah, I mean, again, that'll just play to the consistency game long term. Like you can't be you can't be all gas pedal. Yeah, you have to be break. Yeah, some will break otherwise. But um, we'll start to wrap that up there, Jordan, because we could start to creep over sort of an hour or so. So. I want to say thank you so much for popping on. This was very, very insightful for myself and I'm sure everyone who's listening. Um, so for anyone to find you, what are all your social media handles? And yeah. Business um, yeah, so uh, on Instagram, it's kind of my mainstay on the social media world. It's at the underscore muscle underscore doc, D-O-C. Um, for the corrective exercise specific stuff, we're looking at um, pre script, so pre underscore script, so it's P R E underscore S C R I P T. Okay, guys, it's like phenomenal. Like having started the program myself is very, very good. So definitely check that out. Yeah, so the programs are hosted um, at www.pre-script.com. Um, and then for like long form, like into the weeds biomechanic stuff, um, we're looking at podcasts RXD radio, so RX radio on uh, Spotify and iTunes. Awesome. Absolute pleasure to have you on, Jordan. So um, really, really appreciate that. And I look forward to keeping up to date with how my own personal mobility stability journey goes. So I'm going to keep documenting that along the way we go and uh, keep everyone posted, which will be uh, very insightful, I'm sure. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on and I look forward to seeing what we can do with you.